Tonight on Ithaca Now, we'll hear about the importance of human touch. You could ask your boss for a raise the same way you could ask a participant at a cuddle party for a shoulder rub. We'll also learn about what Sunrise Ithaca is demanding from City Council. $100,000 is not enough for a Green New Deal implementation. And we'll hear from Marco Fontana who orchestrated ticket sales for the highest attended Division Three football game in history. And I think that the stadium will have an effect of its own, watching our guys play in that big stadium, um, bigger than they've ever played in before, will definitely make it a little bit more exciting. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news podcast focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Bronte Cook, and thank you for joining us. On tonight's episode, we'll hear about the impacts of human touch. We'll also hear a piece about the requests Ithaca's Sunrise Movement has for Ithaca's Common Council, and we'll learn about how Cortica lived up to its name, the biggest little game in the nation, this weekend. But first, here's Phoebe Harms with this week's Community Beat. Early voting in New York State did not have much impact on Tompkins County's voter turnout. While 10% of votes were cast during the early voting period, there was little increase in participation overall. Despite a lack of increase, those who voted early said they appreciated shorter lines and the convenience of the options of voting times. A group of Ithaca Elementary School students have competed in the annual First Lego League competition this weekend in Corning, New York. The team funneled their coding and computer programming skills into constructing a robot and an obstacle course they built out of Legos. The competition judged the students in three separate portions, including their coding skills, their interaction with one another, and their ability to identify and solve societal issues. TCAP bus shelters were subject to multiple vandalisms in the past few weeks. Glass panels at six separate shelters have been smashed, costing TCAT thousands of dollars in repairs. TCAT had been planning to replace older shelters with modernized models, but are delaying the construction to avoid the new models being destroyed. I'm Phoebe Harms, WICB News. No matter the person, there are some basic things that we all need to survive. When we think about basic needs, we usually think about air, water, food, and shelter. But what about human touch? Up next, you'll hear WICB correspondent Jessica Dresch as she explores the importance of touch and how we might not be getting enough of it. You know when we sit next to someone on the subway? Their knee might graze our leg, or their hand touches our shoulder while they take off their scarf. Sorry is the word that almost always shortly follows. Translation, sorry I just touched you. Sorry my skin felt your skin. Like a violation or wrongdoing was just performed. But what if society knew how important touch really was? Research shows that platonic touch and cuddling calms cardiovascular stress, reduces blood pressure, 
and releases the love hormone oxytocin. And now there's a whole touch industry. I spoke to a professional cuddler about what it's like when strangers come together to embrace in sudden intimacy. Here's Allison Rollins. You could ask your boss for a raise the same way you could ask a participant at a cuddle party for a shoulder rub. And that detachment from the outcome and the focus on what specifically you want and, you know, it it's an exercise that comes into the individual so that you can identify what it is that you want and really why it is that you want that. Before this episode, I told my boyfriend about the health benefits of cuddling and platonic touch. It rocked his world. Had he succumbed to the pressure of masculinity and learned to fear touch outside of our long-distance relationship? He's excited about this new approach. And to showcase this new excitement, I asked him to hug a random stranger. Okay, we're looking for somebody to hug. Somebody at the RHO. Oh, oh, this guy. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Can I give you a hug? Why? Like, <laughs> it's for a radio show. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, no problem. <laughs> Is society today touching less than before? And how much of it is a cultural thing? Well, let's go back in time. It's the 1960s, and psychologist Sidney Girard goes out to study couples in coffee shops all over the world. His findings? In the span of one hour, couples in Puerto Rico touched 180 times, compared to Paris, 110 times, and in Florida, an astonishing two times. But what about today? Is technology and social media planting itself right in the way of our platonic touch? There's no scientific data to show a link between growing technology and less touch, but Tiffany Field, a touch specialist, went around airports in Florida to observe people interacting. No one was touching. No napping on a loved one's shoulder or hugging, just phones and screens. It's no wonder cuddle parties have blossomed all over Europe, Australia, and the U.S. They're filling a void. When I run a cuddle party event, I expect there to be strangers that don't know each other. And so there's a number of activities and There are several rules. Uh, One rule in particular is that you can always change your mind. Um, And there's other of the rules that we go over in those events. Really create a container where I feel that what's being offered is very safe. So we start with the hugging game where you can ask for and say yes or no to as many different hugs as you want with the people who are there. So it really depends on who's there, but I found the groups of people at a cuddle party are, you know, maybe not so open at first with wanting to get hugs, but by the end of it, usually we end up kind of, you know, sort of sitting in a pile, exchanging light shoulder rubs or, you know, nothing too explicit. It's just, you know, it's kind of you practice 
asking in a very specific way for uh, freely given, reversible, informed, specific consent. So, you know, so there's this FRIES acronym. It's from Planned Parenthood. And um, we really want everybody to just be in an enthusiastic yes, because we've created this container where it's safe to express, you know, gosh, I just really like it if someone would stroke my head. And it's like, okay, wow, I'm totally willing to stroke your head. And it's no big deal. You know, it's not like um, you're not expressing kinks or fetishes. And sometimes people are like, ah, well, where do feet come in because feet are fetishized? And it really kind of depends on the attitude of uh, the person. You know, if you're asking to touch someone's feet because that's going to give you sexual pleasure, then that's not what we're going for. But if you're asking, you know, to touch someone's feet because you gave your mom foot rubs and that reminds you of home, like that might be on the table. It really, you know, it's, a, it's so case by case. Some say men experience platonic touch the least in their lives. For men, touch outside a sexual relationship is seen as effeminate, and touch with other men, gay. Sociologist C.J. Pasco studied at California high school for 18 months and interviewed students. She found that homophobic slurs were dominant along enemy and friend relations. She called this compulsive heterosexuality. To be a guy meant to prove you were straight and masculine. Would you facilitate um, a cuddle party with a with a frat? I definitely want to do that because I think that these skills of identifying what the individual wants outside of what the individual thinks is expected for performance in the sexual arena is important for guys to take ownership of and not just think, oh, you know, I have to get my my badge of honor. You know, I have to um, come of age. I have to have these experiences. And maybe what your roommate's experience that he wants aren't really something, you know, that you want. Have you noticed that most people that are coming to your cuddle parties are single men? That's definitely the case. I had one cuddle party that <clears throat> I, I have advanced tickets, so I usually know who's coming uh, a few days beforehand. And the people who had bought tickets were all male. And all of them want to ask me, so, you know, what's the gender balance? Are there going to be other women there? And, you know, I, I don't want to lie to people who ask that question directly, but I also don't want to give people the impression that my job is to gender balance the participants so that they are provided with someone of the gender that they want to cuddle with, because it's not about the cuddling in the moment at the cuddle party. It's about developing the skills to take home with you to ask for more of what you want. But it's it's really so twisted together from our puritanical roots of American society. Um, we have a very sexualized society, but also have a taboo on sexuality and touch. So I'm just curious, how did that cuddle party pan out with all the males? So the cuddle party with all the males, I 
I always make a statement at the end of what we call a welcome circle. And there's a bit of copyrighted curriculum that we go over the rules and introductions and that container that we create for the cuddle party. And at the end of that introduction, I always give people the option to leave at that time and, you know, get a full refund of their ticket price because the part of the freestyle cuddling happens after that. And so I had five uh, guys that came to the cuddle party and they um, two guys actually stayed after the welcome circle. So it was just uh, three guys took off um, and they're like, no, forget it. I don't want my ticket price back. But then it was just kind of like me and these other two dudes to just have a conversation for the rest of the time, which was very nice. Um, the two guys that stayed, um, they did end up kind of using me as a buffer, like sitting between them on the couch and that was fine. Um, but, you know, I think it is important to explore that it's okay to have platonic affection with people of your same gender. Maybe you don't need to know someone to give them the same effect of touch from a loved one. And maybe it's really just about being there for someone. But it's this sort of thing like, you know, if you're being treated and you want, um, you have to go to the lab to get blood work or something, you know, you could ask somebody to just come sit and hold your hand while you're in the waiting room or while they're taking your blood. But a client that I've known for a while, you know, might actually ask me to sit with them in the waiting room for a medical exam or that sort of thing, just to have somebody. It's not necessarily only about, um, you know, physical touch, but about like having that person to be there. Touch and be touched. Consensually, of course. But hug someone you love or someone you don't know. Either way, there's a lot to gain from reaching out and asking for touch. For WICB News, I'm Jess Dresch. Sunrise Ithaca has been active across the city, promoting the New Green Deal. Most recently, they've been pushing for the city of Ithaca to do more work towards sustainability, sustainability goals in Ithaca. WICB correspondent George Christopher attended a Common Council meeting earlier this fall to learn more about the requests the Sunrise Movement has for the city. In June of 2019, the Ithaca Common Council voted unanimously in favor of a Green New Deal for Ithaca. Ithaca has a goal to be a carbon-neutral community by 2030 and to have additional programs with the Green New Deal to improve social and economic inequalities. But since that time, some Ithaca community members have not been satisfied with the Council's implementation of the Green New Deal. $100,000 is not enough for a Green New Deal implementation. And one year is not enough planning, and you're not looking far enough ahead. I'd like to also suggest that the swatch rug be sold, just like Magnus said, and be given to Green New Deal implementation. And I'd also see, I'd like to also see two new full-time positions be filled as part of the Green New Deal implementation. 
not just have a part-time member, not just 1.5 full-time, but two full-time positions. This plan won't be easy, and it'll take a lot of meetings like this, and it'll take a lot of acknowledgements that we've not made so far, and it'll take a lot of working with the public directly without telling us that we can't show up. The Ithaca Sunrise Movement, which is part of a national organization of climate activists, is one group not afraid to address its displeasure with the city's environmental policies. I, I personally believe that we need two additional staff people hired immediately, actually, which I, my understanding is a consultant who will be doing that work, but someone needs to be working very closely with that consultant. And on the Common Council's execution of the Green New Deal, they have been no less vocal. It's overwhelmingly clear that adding one employee to the task of laying the groundwork for this 10-year mobilization is not enough. Well, so what is enough? Two additional full-time positions to fulfill the 2020 task laid out in Ithaca Green New Deal resolution. It's challenging for me to wrap my head around the amount of work that is necessary to launch us into the coming years of climate catastrophe, but the intentions that we set out tonight will make our next task more clear. On October 23rd, Ithaca Sunrise made a mass appearance at City Hall and expressed concerns with Common Council's execution of the Green New Deal. I do have some ideas about where money can be moved around in the budget because I, I understand that this will take a lot of money, uh, especially hiring people. So the SWAT vehicle. I, I do not believe that Ithaca needs a SWAT vehicle. I propose that the council sell it and then the money that's in the capital budget for that to replace that specific vehicle as, as its time comes out, I believe that that money should be moved from the capital budget uh, into the Green New Deal. Ithaca Sunrise gave ideas, examples, and scientific evidence as to why the council, in their eyes, has failed with their implementation of the Green New Deal. Friends have said before me, looking at the budget, you're not doing enough. So I'm a scientist, so I'm going to talk to you about some scientific facts. Every year, we're putting more and more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Means every year, the Earth is getting hotter and hotter. Means every year, we have less and less land to grow food on. Within the next 20 years, because of the rise of the sea levels, we're going to have millions of people immigrating inward to here, probably. The council voted 6-3 to three in favor of downzoning three blocks in downtown Ithaca two weeks before Sunrise spoke out to council. This council, and really of all governments at this point, is the existential threat that our ecology may no longer support life as we know it on this planet, and that therefore should be the number one priority, at not just at this meeting, but at all meetings really in the foreseeable future. The activists believe that a decision for downzoning does not align with the goals of the Green New Deal. Downzoning restricts the size of buildings and could cause more buildings to be built up and therefore potentially creating more carbon emissions in downtown Ithaca. Denser cities are more green. They, they save carbon emissions and they will help with our, this will help with our affordable housing crisis. Since the October 23rd meeting, the council has allocated a little under $35,000 from the general fund in response to public outcry, including the Ithaca Sunrise Movement with the Green New Deal. The budget is not enough for the task at hand, and I think Art Weaver really said it best that the mandate of this council and really of all governments at this point is the existential threat that our ecology may no longer support life as we know it on this planet, and that therefore should be the number one priority at not just at this meeting, but at 
all meetings really in the foreseeable future. This could make the sustainability coordinator a full-time position if the council votes to release the funds. The council has disagreed on the implementation, but all agree that the city of Ithaca cannot be alone in their sustainability goals. For WICB's Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. Yesterday, the Ithaca College Bombers defeated their rival, SUNY Cortland, at MetLife Stadium. The 61st Cortica Jug football game set the Division Three attendance record at 45,160 people. WICB correspondent Michael Memis, Me- Memis sat down with Marco Fontana, the student who organized ticket sales. So, Marco, how were you um, able to facilitate the purchasing or the selling of the tickets for the Cortica at MetLife? Um, I've had a good amount of training from my internship this past summer with the New York Mets, where I learned how to run an event like that, and also uh, in my classes, marketing and management, everything I've taken in the business school throughout my four years, just slowly learning um, what it takes to put on a large-scale event like that and create that buying, and that fun atmosphere that everyone so desires. Mm-hmm. Now... Um, obviously, different, a little different sport than uh, you know baseball, where you had the internship, but um, and different level. Um, but so, how was the role different and similar from what you expected? Um, even though they were different sports, <clears throat> I think that all sport is the same in that it's a community outreach aspect where people are really just going to the game to spend good time with their friends, and and the sport doesn't matter as much as you might think. Um, I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between football and baseball as far as a spectator sport where people come and uh, they enjoy everything from the space they're sitting in to the food to the drink to the game itself and the people they're with. So um, I think I drew some parallels between baseball and football like that and just try to create an experience similar to the, the best games I saw this summer at City Field. Okay. Now, you're also a athlete, your varsity baseball player. Um, yep. And obviously, it was the off season while most of this was while this was going on. But how were you able to balance um, the athletics with the academics, as well as obviously this uh, huge role that you had to do with the uh, Cortica? Well, yeah, I was definitely busy, Michael. Um, <laughs> but the main thing that I just tried to do and maintain throughout this whole process was just be where my feet are. It's a, a very simple saying, but I just try to live that out every day. Where when I'm in class, I just I'm in class and I'm focusing on what's going on there. And, when I'm at the baseball field or doing anything baseball related, I'm just 100% focused on that. And then when it was time to work on Cortica, I was just 100% focused on that. And by doing that, I just made the most of my time and didn't really let it catch up to me. And I was able to do everything in an efficient manner. Okay. Now, um, also, when we when the students bought the tickets, there's also a thing where you could sign up for a bus. Uh, when did that come into play? Yeah, that was something right from the start that we wanted to do for our students because we know not everybody has a means of transportation to get down there. So we wanted to not let that prohibit anybody from going to the game since it's going to be a really awesome time. So we had that complimentary bus with snack and breakfast on it. So um, our students took full advantage of that and excited to see how that turns out. Now, looking back, obviously, the ticket, you know, games this weekend, um, with everything that happened, uh, what do you think went really well? What do you think if you did it again, you do, you change? Uh, from the whole, you know, selling the tickets for the students uh, for the game. Yeah, sure, for sure. I think one thing that was one of our strengths was making it an event-type selling base where it wasn't just uh, pick up your tickets at the Campus Center lobby from any time, 9 to 3, the rest of the month. We really built a lot of hype around it to create this really fun buying atmosphere with your friends. There was music playing, there was food and drink, and 
people were excited. It was there was a sense of urgency to buy a ticket because there was a lim limited inventory, and um, I think that really played well in our favor. If I could do one thing differently, maybe um, the marketing plan. There was a couple things I might have tweaked just to make sure we broadcast our message out to the most amount of people and the right people. Um, so there was a couple things that we did really well, and all, always there's going to be some that you can improve on. So it's good to learn from that. Of course. Um, now students uh, came very came early to uh, get the tickets because you know part of history wanted by the first one of the first tickets at MedLife. Um, do, were there any crazy kind of things that happened during the time when this uh, tickets were being sold at the A and E Center? Yeah, there was some things that surprised me. I mean, I expected a really good turnout that first night, but um, to say that we exceeded expectations would be correct. We had a a thousand tickets sold in the first night, which was amazing. And we had the line start to build up over an hour before we even started selling tickets. So our first sale kicked off at 6 p.m. There was people camped out waiting in line at 5 p.m. before I even showed up to get things ready. So <laughs> to see that really just made me excited. And I think the team was too. Okay. Um, and also they had a, a thing where it was a limit of four tickets uh, per student ID for purchasing it. Um, was that a decision by you or by the school? And why was that decision made? That was just a joint decision between um, everyone involved in playing this event. We wanted to make it accessible for students to buy tickets in bulk, but we didn't want people to go out and get a bunch of tickets on their own and prohibit others from buying tickets. You know what I mean? Like so the reselling market. The reselling yeah. market. We didn't want that to happen. So we protected ourselves in that way. And I think it worked out in our favor because people weren't doing that. And they were buying tickets for the right reasons. And if they wanted to purchase more than four, they just brought an extra ID or two and were able to purchase as many as they'd like. Mm -hmm. Now, if you had one word to describe this experience, uh, what would you use and why? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I would say gratifying. And mainly because myself and the students that we worked with together were able to just gain so much hands-on experience at such a young age that I think that we'll forever be grateful for Ithaca letting us do this. And down the road, we'll look back at this and say that we were a part of history. Um, record attendance broken, and we were a part of that. And just going to probably look back on this years and years to come as one of my defining moments of college. Did you initially expect that it would break the record of most uh, tickets sold for a D3 game? I did, yeah. When the announcement was made all the way back in November of 2018, I immediately thought of that because I know the attendance record was something that people have talked about in the past. And um, I knew MetLife has, has a larger capacity than Target Field where the game was held that has the record now. And Cortica Jug just has so much history behind it. And with all the alumni and students that are bought into this process, I, I thought that it had the legs to do it. And it looks like we might. How do you think the atmosphere for Cortica will be different this year now that they decide to put it at MetLife this year? Yeah, I think that um, you'll see a lot, of, lot more people than usual because the parking lot is huge, so there's going to be a large tailgating atmosphere, um, larger than like the parking lots we have at Ithaca that you might typically see. And then it's going to be a different dynamic. It's it's not only students that are tailgating on campus. We're going to have a lot of alumni coming back, and it's going to be a fun atmosphere kind of watching everybody interact um, that day of. And I think that the stadium will have an effect of its own, watching our guys play in that big stadium, um, bigger than they've ever played in before, will definitely make it a little bit more exciting mm -hmm. now i i may have maybe have been something about this online but i missed it um overall if you if you i'm sure you, i'm guessing you guys counted it, how many tickets were um sold through um 
to students like through the student rate um, at the college? Yeah, between our student faculty and staff, we sold over 2,800 tickets. So that was a, a win on our part. We thought that we did really well with that. Okay, well, thank you. That's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. Tune into our podcast two weeks from now at 7 p.m. for more stories and news impacting the Ithaca community. You can find all of our content on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, find our podcast for free on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. For more updates throughout the week, follow us on social media. Search for WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager, Peter Champelli, and our news staff. Executive Director, Bridget Bright, Managing Director, Jacqueline Agahigian, Production Director, Jay Bradley, and our correspondents, Phoebe Harms, William Strelekis, Michael Memis, George Christopher, and Jessica Dresch. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, who hails from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful rest of your week. I'm Bronte Cook, and this has been Ithaca Now on 92 WICB. Thank you.